Welcome back to Those Happy Places, the podcast that treats theme parks, rides, and attractions like literature. I'm Buddy Duquesne. And I'm Alice White. Alice, guess what? What? It is summer of 2019. Birds are chirping. Dogs are howling. Uh, Cats, I assume, are doing whatever it is they usually do. Kids are playing in parks and the... Wind is blowing and everyone is yes. happy. It, it continues to be summer as you imagine it. And because it is the summer of 2019, we have finally seen Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland. That's true. We have. Or, we, well, some of us have. <laughs> okay, well, you've, you've been and seen it. And I have observed from afar via the internet... Uh, and I've been impressed by what I've seen, but you're the one with the eyewitness information. You're That's the one with, with the, the first-hand experience. And we thought that we would get together and do a kind of a, a bonus podcast episode talking specifically about our kind of first impression of Galaxy's Edge. And I guess, Alice, the main goal today is to see what, if any deeper narrative or deeper contexts we can like pull out of those experiences. Right. We here at Those Happy Places do love to find the uh, story behind everything theme park related. It is, in fact, the thesis of our show. Um, And I got to say, right off the top of my head, um, other than an actual like physical narrative, I'm I. I'm gonna need some help finding the uh, finding the bigger story here. So I'm I'm really excited to talk to you about this, share my experiences with you, and uh, see what we can uh, see what we can find. Yeah, we'll have kind of a, a back and forth, and and see if by talking through it we can come to a more um, how you say academic uh, conclusion <laughs> about about the park here. Um, yeah. And it is it is interesting that you would say that there was like a physical story to start it to start us off. Like, there's a story of Galaxy's Edge. There are unique characters that live and inhabit that uh, Black Spire Outpost, the the world of Batu. Um, and from what I've seen, they have interactions throughout the day that do tell a story of the Resistance versus the First Order, um, and that sort of thing is happening kind of constantly, right? That's true. Uh, first thing, uh, I found out from a cast member that it's actually Batu, not Batu. Or what no, it's Batu. Hold on. Wait, I got those mixed up. I've been saying Batu. I was like, oh, right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to Batu. And everybody's been saying Batu. Got it mixed up. It's actually Batu. It's Batu. It's Batu. Yeah, that's what that's what all the um, everybody there was saying. They were like, ah, oh, welcome to Batu. And I was like, oh, goodness. Um, and the power of my Batu. <laughs> so uh, in 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 Batu, they uh, yeah, there's a a whole culture and even a whole language and and everything that is, um, and and like slang that that has been designated for the Black Spire Outpost that has become actual Star Wars canon. There are books now that take place uh in in Batu and in, and with the characters of like um like Vimarati and these um like actual named care physical characters and the first order's presence uh in the Black Spire outpost are now canon to the uh bigger Star Wars universe. Um 
Uh, Vimerati, for example, uh, she is a walk-around character, a face character, interacts with uh, with guests. She um, is dressed in a bright orange resistance uh, jacket. She's got cool blue hair, and she runs around and ducks behind things and, like, calls out to you while you're walking and, and like, asks you if you want to join the resistance and, and things like that. Like, she's a fully interactive part of the character, of the of the like story um and she'll like pull kids aside and teach them like cool resistance like you know terminology and stuff like that so that they could you know be on her team and if a stormtrooper sees her they chase her and it's uh, you're you're suddenly part of this full like storyline that involves yeah resistance presence on on Batu. And Kylo Ren even at, at one point will like get up on the stage in front of his t- TIE fighter and make a speech about how anybody who finds the resistance spy uh, should tell him immediately. And then she's, you know, sneaking around uh, the like back of the crowd. And it's I mean, it's it's fully it's fully interactive and immersive. It's it's wonderful. I, I love this idea of this eternal cat and mouse game that's going to be played out in this land. The, yes. the, this, this character that's always on the run and always sneaking and then the, the characters that are always chasing her. Um, and it seems like it's kind of kind of a flipped reversal of the usual walk around character who has escorts and uh, a, a, sometimes a, a kind of a, an area that they stay in um and that you line up to meet where she seems like she she actually like lives there in the land so she has taken on a life of her own and instead of you approaching her she approaches you Um, we saw her everywhere we we from when we we walked in our our designated entrance and the way they did we can cover how they did the the release um and the, the, the like crowd control uh, in a separate conversation. But uh, our designated entrance was way over by uh, Critter Country. So we entered from the far corner and um, crossed through this kind of like transition space that was a lot of trees and a lot of rocks. And it wasn't really until we turned a couple of corners that the music started to swell up. It was like a, like a slow transition into the space. And suddenly there was an X-Wing just parked there and uh, looking amazing and wonderful. And there there she was, just hanging out by the X-Wing, chatting with a bunch of kids and taking selfies with people. And then maybe like an hour later, we were walking through the marketplace and she comes like sneaking out of a shop. Um, <laughs> and then when Kyla was up speaking up on the stage, she was, you know, around the crowd. And, and, and that was in a totally different part of the, uh, of the land. So she was not in, in any way tethered to one spot and I'm sure she had like a handler or somebody but they must have just you know I don't know if they were in plain clothes or if they just were really good at blending in but it it never at any point broke the 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 like illusion that she was a rogue spy just like running around that is Um, so cool it was incredible I I think I think what Part of what Galaxy's Edge needed was this kind of anchoring in characters, um, in characters that that are unique to that place. And I think it's yeah. something that that a lot of themed lands uh, don't have. Like, 
Wizarding World of Harry Potter, I feel like is going to get compared to this a lot because it's our next best example mm -hmm. uh, of a of a an IP themed land that takes a known location or aesthetic um, and then kind of realizes it in real time uh, or in real space, rather. I guess in both real time and real space. Real but you time know and I mean. real space, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and Galaxy's Edge kind of takes a different tack where it's not a familiar location, but it is a familiar, like, like thing, right? Like Star Wars, part of what makes it so appealing is its familiar uniqueness, um, it, where, where it's its own thing that draws from so many other things. And you're always sure what you're always sure that it's Star Wars, even though you're not always sure what Star Wars is, if that makes sense. Right. And I think a lot of that is, uh, and, and we could turn this into a movie podcast if we want to, but a lot of that comes down to uh, how the very original Star Wars, you know, Star Wars 1977 was released, where they just give you this fully gritty lived in world and doesn't ask you to, it doesn't, it doesn't try to talk to you and give you exposition it just throws you in the middle of of this of this universe and then now we have 10 plus movies that take place in this universe not to mention all these television shows but at no point did they ever sit you down and say here's the emperor and here's how long he's been in charge and here's how many years it's been since last you saw them and here's you know you you just are in Star Wars from the minute you sit down right. to watch your first Star Wars movie and i think that Whoever's idea that was, whether that was George Lucas or, or, you know, whatever genius was like, oh yeah, well, this is how we're going to do it. They went ahead and applied that directly to Galaxy's Edge. Right. They, they, do, they don't walk you in and like, as you're, as you're walking in, there aren't a bunch of signs that are like, you're on a new planet and it's called Batu, Batu or whatever. And um, and the resistance is here and they're against the first order and the first order rose from the empire. You know, oh you, you don't, you don't get that. You, you, you don't. When we were building the game of Thrones theme park in that we last bonus that. episode, we, we fell into that trap of trying to contextualize and tell the story where so much of the appeal of these places and locations and images is that they're readable. Like you can, you can look and read them and know yeah. I think Star Wars is a little complicated in that we know so much about it. You and I specifically, but I think like as a culture <laughs> as well, like so much about Star Wars is just kind of ingrained um, where nobody's going to look at the First Order and be like, hey, those dudes in the shiny white armor must be the good guys. Like, <laughs> uh, knight in shining armor, everybody knows that. Like, <laughs> Oh um, man, I want to meet that person who thinks right, I that. Do wanna find, I do want to find that strange nomad who suddenly goes to Disneyland. Um, but <laughs> you, you know what I mean, right? Like, like there's a lot of familiar, familiar imagery and aesthetic and just general look that uh, Galaxy's Edge harnesses while also maintaining its own unique identity through these new characters. Yes, the new characters and, of course, gentle, um, not all the way in your face. I mean, other than the, the presence of the fully life-size Millennium Falcon um, and, like, Chewbacca walking around everyone, you know, uh, all over the place. And, uh, there aren't, like, you, you're not going to have a meet and greet with with Princess Leia there on the... Because they, they 
as much as I'm sure they probably like want to, uh, to draw in like more people like, oh yeah, let's meet, you know, you can meet Leia, you can meet Luke. It wouldn't make any sense in this universe for them to be there because like the Millennium Falcon has like an in-canon reason for being parked there. Um, and you get like, um, Hondo is there and he's an established character from the Clone Wars, but he's not like everyone's favorite rascal Han Solo or anything, you know, that <laughs> it's, right. um, you're, 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 it, you get these like buffer characters that are like familiar enough, but still new and still like unique to sure. this kind of world. I, and I then you're all that. new, and then you're all new characters like like uh, like Vimerati. Right. I, I'd wager that for certainly a few people, uh, Honda was a new character. Yes. Even though for me, watching Clone Wars and uh, uh, Rebels, Hondo has been a, a longtime favorite. Um, He's amazing. <laughs> uh, so I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, the characters and all of that seems really great. I have this other question. Okay. Uh, you were talking a little bit about the entrance, like, procedure, right? They kind of line you up in, in an area. This is yes. during that time where we have these uh, reservations to get into the park. Yes. Uh, I gotta stop saying into the park. Alice, can I, can I d diatribe for a moment? Yes. Uh, a lot of people call it the new Star Wars theme park, and I find that really <laughs> frustrating. Yeah, because but you keep slipping into it. I can't believe I, but I guess I guess I mean land or themed area. Okay, but, but here's that the thing. Really roll off the tongue. Let me describe to you what it felt like going there, and then maybe you'll see why people keep calling it a park, and, okay. and they will keep calling it a park until everyone can access it. Right. Um. So I'll just walk you through the whole my whole like day, just as okay. a like how it went so we roll up to disneyland and for for the record we went on um monday june 3rd um and that was the uh, first it was, monday that it was open it was the right? very first monday that it was open and we rolled up early we have we all have passes so we rolled up early to just go to the park and the rule that we got in the emails that we got about uh redeeming our reservations all said you can check in at in tomorrowland uh, at the Star Wars Launch Bay, which is the old Innoventions building, which is the old uh, uh, Carousel Progress building, <laughs> right? <laughs> which is the old. I mean, it's been it's been a million things, but um, it's a Star Wars Launch Bay, and it has been for a while. Um, it's a, they say you can line up there two hours before your reservation to uh, pick up your wristbands, and then at and then they say we'll give you more information there. So we kill some time at the park, and we ride some rides, and we and we have a, a grand old time. And we head over to the launch bay at noon because our uh, reservation was from two to six. Two to six. We had four whole hours that we were allowed to be in there. That's pretty and impressive. And it was very cool. So we get in line at the launch bay. We were in line for, I don't know, 15 minutes tops. And then somebody scans the barcode from our email, slaps some wristbands on our wrist, tells us that our entrance is over at Critter Country and bye, have fun. And we're like, oh, okay, um, cool, <laughs> I guess. I got uh, time, uh, I guess we'll just figure it out then. There was no other information given to us, no information on like if our wristbands included entrance to like all parts of the land, if it included, um, 
you know, how, you know uh, what the hard cutoff was if we were, you know, if if at six they were going to, you know, corral us all out or where the reservations overlapped and how many people would be there. We didn't get any of that, which is fine. They just kind of they, they beeped our wristbands. They had little scanners and sent us on our way. Um, so at at two o'clock at reservation time, we oh, 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 all right. The one piece of information they did give us, they said, um, you will not be allowed in until two. So don't try and line up before. Hmm. So we were like, okay. Um, so at two o'clock we get off big thunder mountain at like, we get off big thunder mountain at like one or something and make sure. our way ar- around the river. And so we are approaching our designated critter country entrance at like two Oh two or something like that. Like just right. after two. So we were like, hell yeah, we we're first here. We did it. We planned our day so good. So we walk in and we just walk it. They, they beep our wristbands. They have a little scanner. They beep our wristbands, check our um, time slot, make sure we're in the, it was, and everybody had a, a different color wristband. Um, and so they scan us in, make sure that we're all authorized to be there. And then we walk in and we realize that everybody else was in there already. That in fact, everybody had lined up. <laughs> and corralled in and they corralled everybody in like a big group. And then at two, they dropped the rope and let everybody run in. Sure. So we were like the last ones in the park two minutes after entrance time. Oh my gosh. Uh, I see. See, I said park again, but this is what, because there was a very, very, very specific entrance procedure and like a whole other ticket that we had to get. And like a whole other line we had to wait in and another rope drop that, that existed. Right. And that's that's why it feels like a park. So we, we you know, we wander in and immediately, I mean, we stop, we take pictures with everything. We're live streaming. We're uh, freaking out. We see Vimerati. We see Ray is there and we take pictures with Ray and then we get pulled off because there's the Millennium Falcon and it only has a 20 minute wait. So we ran in there and we get on, we 20 minutes, ride the Millennium Falcon ride. It's amazing. It's wonderful. And then we're like, we should go get a drink at the cantina. We roll up to the cantina and there's a huge line outside. And we're like, oh, how long is the line? How long is the wait? And they're like, oh, reservations are full for your time slot. Wow. And we're like, reservations? And they're like, yeah, we've been taking reservations. At no point, at any point, did anybody say, be sure to get there for reservations. Uh, go, go. I mean, other other people had said, "Oh, you should go to the cantina first because it gets really crowded." But at no, there was no mention of reservations. And so I guess what they had done is, uh, like, their first couple of days that were open were so intense with people trying to cram their way into the cantina that they started the new reservation system for the cantina that day, oh my and God. just hadn't told anyone wow um so everybody that was in line had reservations they just also then had to wait in line to like access their reserve and then they were like oh yeah they started telling people in line we'll text you when it's time and but people were still waiting in line and it was it was mental so they were like oh no it's full up you're not going to be able to get inside the cantina at all and we were like really upset we wanted to go inside i wanted to meet dj rex i wanted to go inside the cantina so we were really irritated and hungry and thirsty and stuff so we we wandered off and we we did our shopping we ate our food and we grabbed 
so because we couldn't go in the cantina, we didn't grab the alcoholic beverages, but I had the like lemonade that they had and it was so good. And the wrap, the Ronto wrap was so good. And, and, and we, you know, we spent all our money shopping and, um, and then, but we were still like, we were really upset because the cantina was pretty much the only other, the one ride is not open yet. Rise of the Resistance isn't open yet. Right. Um, and we, you know, we walked the whole, we walked the perimeter of the whole thing. We ducked into every shop and other than shopping and riding the Millennium Falcon again, which we did, we rode it twice. Um, there was nothing else to do. We wanted to sit in the cantina. We wanted to just like sit down and have a drink and that was just not going to be possible. Um, so we, we walked up again and there was a different set of cast members up and we're like, are you sure we can't go in? Like, there's really no way. And he's like, and he said, well, I can let you in so you can see it and take pictures, but I have to follow you around to make sure that you don't like sit down and order a drink or something um, because you don't have a reservation. We said deal. So he followed us around like a, like a, you know, like a security guard basically and followed us around while we took pictures and said hi to Captain Rex and I'm sorry, DJ Rex and We're not a captain anymore. No, 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 no. I made some joke about him being demoted and they were like they were like, No, not demoted. It's just a change of career. Oh and God. um and then I said, Oh yeah, well I was on his first Star Tours flight and they were yeah. like, You don't look that old <laughs> uh. It was mine too. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, and it was it was very funny. It was very cute. Um, and but so we got to see it. But like all everybody in there apparently where they they got in in their first like reservation slot and then they just kind of like camped there for like a while, taking up space and not letting anybody else in. And that was really disheartening. Yeah. Um, and I, I think I could tell that the people who worked there were like trying to get people, you know, like dropping checks off and like trying to get them to move on, but they didn't want to. It's too good of a cantina. It's it's yeah. it's too beautiful and too that exciting is, to be that there. That is the thing, though. Like a bar is a place to be sat in and kind of enjoyed, and it's like a leisure space. It's not necessarily yeah. a uh, a show space, and turning it into a show space unfortunately turns it into even more of a leisure space yep <laughs> which which then just exacerbates this problem of the, it's this they novel yeah. area that's also relaxing um they can't turn the tables fast enough to you know even to just um get the servers more you know tips and more you know you you can't you can't have a themed space like that that encourages sitting that long it's not yeah. it's not like practical for people to visit it's not practical for the servers it's not you know it's it that was really rough and really difficult and and kind of yeah we were kind of upset because we wanted a chance to see we had four whole hours to experience only one land of the of uh entire theme park right. and we wanted to do every single thing that we could and we just couldn't we were not allowed and that was yeah we were pretty upset that is but, indeed a shame but then I had, it was called the Sour Sarlacc and it was like a cherry limeade drink. And I had a, one of those Ronto wraps and they were both just so good that I wasn't even mad anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 a wonder what uh, a Ronto wrap can do for one's attitude. Honestly, uh, it was so good. <laughs> it was so delicious. <laughs> I, I, gotta, I gotta quiz you just like a little bit more because okay. you said you did it and now I gotta know. 
Smuggler's Run. Uh, I, I need to hear everything about it. I want to know about the animatronic uh, uh, Hondo out front of it. Uh, I want to know about the story. Uh, and I want, to, I want to drop a huge spoiler warning here at this mark because I, I, want, I just want to know it all. Like, just please, yeah. just, just drop it tell, all. And I'll tell you everything. <laughs> friends, listeners, if you don't want to hear it, just just now is a good time. You have heard Alice's thoughts on on the entire themed area. Um, We're going to talk about the ride now, and I'm going to spoil everything. Uh, um, so skip ahead. Yes. Skip, skip uh, way ahead. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. Smuggler's Run. It was a... Uh, blast it was so fun i had the best time uh so the and maybe and maybe one of the best part i mean the ride itself was very very good but um the queue to get onto the ride was very neat as well you when you are waiting in line to go on this ride they take they fully line you up along the bottom edge of the Millennium Falcon so you can see the underside of it. And then you go up some stairs and you walk across to, uh, level with the top of it so you can see the whole top side of the Millennium Falcon. You get wow. to see every single inch of that thing. And no part of it looks like a facade. It really does look like they built every single wire, every single button, every single hatch on that thing. Wow! Uh, from the outside, it is because you do get a full 360 degree there. It's like it's not like oh, it's parked up against a wall, so you can't get behind it no, to see and see falcon. where they skimped it. It's the whole darn falcon. So you wait in the queue, and they establish in the queue that you are in a um, in like a freight service it's like it's like a a company that uh sends things from one end of the galaxy to the other um it's like a like a shipping company and over the loudspeaker you hear just regular old workers being like oh man hondo's gonna kill me if i if you if uh you lose this shipment one more time i swear and you know that you establish that they're all working for hondo and then over the loudspeaker, one per one guy accidentally says, oh, um, this cargo is labeled as fuel, but it's actually um, like drugs or something. He like said, I think he says like spice. And um, and the, the, the other guy is like, well, no, no, it's just it's fuel. All right. Like, come on, man. Like. <laughs> Like, why would you even say something like that over a loudspeaker? <laughs> and so, so they're establishing like from the top, like, oh, okay, like this is a shipping company, and they're definitely also smugglers. Right. Very good. Um, it's cute. It's funny. It's got big a big set piece engine in the middle of the queue that um, that like. It's like, okay, we're going to test the engine, see if it works. And so it revs up every once in a while and, and moves and flaps open and close and stuff. So it's, you know, it, it's got lots to look at. Um, and so you get to the front of the queue and they count out six people and they make, they make crews of six. So you are in a crew of six and you will be with, unless you are exactly six people, you will be with strangers. And... Um, so we were three people. So we were, um, the first time we went on it, we were in a, another group of three. And the next time we went on it, we went with two strangers and we did not get a single rider huh. on with us. Um, so we were missing an engineer. Um, so yeah, we were, we were short one crew member and they were like, oh no, it's okay. 
I don't know. I don't know if they program something into it that that is like, oh, they're short somebody or or what. I've, but I have heard that individual positions can be automated. That's cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and I think if you were missing anybody, it's the engineer and the engineer. Oh, I'll get to that. So um, so they line you all up and they hand you these cards and the cards are color coded and you are like you are the purple crew you're the orange crew you're the gray crew and um you hold on to these cards and when your color is called you're gonna line up according to your job um okay see you in a minute and then they let you loose down a hallway that is the entrance into the millennium falcon wow you go into the millennium falcon you walk through that iconic hallway you come out into the main part of the of the ship and there's the Dejaric table there's the um the bunk that that uh Chewie lays on when he's hurt when Rose lays on when she's hurt there it is but it's got a bunch of stuff on it so you can't lay down on it right um and there's boxes everywhere and but like there you are you are in you are inside the Millennium Falcon there's uh boxes of of stuff and you see uh uh just like random little homages to various various things and and you are kind of just left in this area to take pictures and hang out and chat for like a while and how long you're there fully 100% depends on how well the crew in front of you in line is doing um so they will they will call crews out this they say okay purple crew line up over here by this door and they will pull you in one crew at a time to go sit in the cockpit of the Millennium Falcon, which is just exactly as cool as you think it is. Um, and then you are in charge, then you are flying the ship. And so they line you up two pilots next to each other, left pilot, right pilot, two gunners next to each other, two engineers next to each other. And that's why I think when they're like, okay, if you're going to be short, somebody is going to be one of the engineers and they tell you what to do on the card. But we were so fully distracted by how beautiful the set piece was that we were in there like sitting, like taking pictures at the hollow chest table and everything. And like, um, that we didn't read our cards and suddenly we're like, Oh "Oh, no, we have to read it. (laughs) So the pilots read it and it says left pilot and right pilot, left pilot can move the Falcon side to side, right pilot can move the Falcon up and down, uh, by pushing or pulling, depending on where you want the nose to go. Um, the gunners have a little button that is your general like shot and you have a big button that is your cannons, but those will only work, uh, when the button is lit up. And then the engineer, it basically, it essentially on the engineer thing just says anything that lights up, any emergency button that lights up, you hit it to fix that emergency. Nice. So the pilots get to control the Falcon, which is amazing. The pilot, the, the gunners get to shoot blasters and cannons which is also amazing but the engineer gets to hit the most buttons <laughs> they get to they get to just go nuts on those buttons and right. and and so anytime the pilot like will and you'll you will crash the falcon at least once um because it's it's hard to get the hang of flying with another person um anytime that the falcon runs into something or nicks something uh the engineer has to like hit like like a ton of buttons to fix whatever it is that you broke or oh try God. to fix whatever it is. You, that you, you broke. gotta lock, you gotta lock it down. Uh-huh. Uh, cause if you don't do a good enough job, you, there is like, like the rumors all said the whole time, there is a fail state, uh, on this ride. You can lose this ride. 
Um, there are, so the first couple of minutes of it are automated. They're like, okay, well, we're going to, you know, rise, ride you up here to get you started. Chewie's going to remote pilot you until, you know, until you're ready. Um, and then, and then the very end, Chewie takes back over and remote pilots you to land back in, in, uh, in Batu. But, nice. um, but the, everything in the middle, you are f- fully in control of the, of the ship. Wow. And so you you fly up, you have to dodge things, and and what it basically is is a it's a train heist. The plot of the of the ride is a train heist, like from Solo. Okay. So and like from Solo, you're stealing coaxium. Correct. So you as a Millennium Falcon are flying behind one of those trains that's on its weird rails, weird gravity defying rails, and you are chasing the train, and you have to knock the back. Uh, like car off the train and then pick up the coaxium that falls from it and then do it again. And you basically do it kind of as many times as you can until uh, I don't know if it's time or damage or, or what, I don't know what causes you to that. Then uh, Honda will come over the, the speaker and be like, okay, it's time to go. And, and you will fly away. But the first time we flew, we only got one coaxium uh, thing. And the second time we got two, and so the better we were doing, the better we were flying, the longer we had chances to pick up another Quaxium to get more money and more points. Um, and so then, but then eventually Honda's like, okay, we gotta go, we gotta go. And you fall, and then you fly away and then you have to fly through an asteroid belt. And the second time we did it, we flew through that asteroid belt for like a while. We were there, like, dodging asteroids and, like, I'm not even really dodging asteroids because I wasn't doing much flying. I was the pilot the second time. I wasn't doing, like, much flying or dodging. The asteroids were kind of just, like, nearby and our and our gunners were just shooting at, at things randomly. Every once in a while, a TIE fighter would go by and we'd shoot it and kill it. But, like, we kind of just flew in a straight line through an asteroid belt until Hondo was like, okay, let's land. And then, and then, and then we started to land. We had to pilot ourselves down in through the atmosphere, and then Chewie took over. And so the first time we went through the asteroid belt, we like ran into an asteroid, and then Honda was like, "Okay, land." So I think it was just like, a, "How long? How long can you fly until the Falcon is too damaged to keep going, huh. or like until you reach a time limit where Honda's like, "All right, you're good." Like I don't, I don't know. Like I, it, it's so hard to tell until we get like more sample sizes of people like comparing their rides and like how long they lasted. But also I'm not checking my watch to see how long I'm on the ride because I'm flying the Falcon. Right. <laughs> and it's, um, it was fun. It was like a video game though. I mean, it was exactly a video game. So you have your little, you know, the, the pilots have joysticks. One goes up and down, one goes left to right. And the left to right one kind of does more of the flying and hits the brake. I, you hit, you hit the brake at one point, um, which I hit a little late, and and we hit <laughs> we hit the deck pretty hard. Oh my gosh. Um, um, but then, so the up and down, you don't really, you don't really do as much up and down, but you do get to pull the lever that sends you into hyperspace. Wow. Um, y- you pull the the silver level lever down, and you fly, and you get to do that twice. So wow. they really did a good job of balancing who's doing what. 
and the the gunners have a little you can choose a manual or automatic um so like an automatic targeting um like any any tie fighter that comes by you just hit the button and it automatically targets the tie fighter and apparently you can do it automatic where you can control where your blast goes and oh. so there's a possibility that you could miss the tie fighter wow if you did it in automatic but we did it uh, or sorry in manual but we did it in automatic both times um I was a gunner the first time, so I was um, I put it on automatic targeting, and next time I'm definitely going to try manual just to see what's up. Yeah. Um, but then you'd have to probably have to talk to the person sitting next to you, and if it's a stranger like mine was, I have to be like, hey, so I'm going to try and like manually shoot all these Tie Fighters. Is that cool? And if they're like more competitive, and they're like, no, do the automatic target, you know, like you have to like coordinate with these strangers when you sit down. That is a and, bit like, of a stretch. For sure. The the first time or when I did the piloting, I was sitting with a stranger and I'm doing going left to right and hitting the brakes and he's going up and down and playing the hyperdrive. And when I'm I'm trying to go left to right and I had to at one point be like, you need to pull up. We're going to crash. <laughs> and he was like, oh, OK. And he pulls up. <laughs> and so, like, if you're competitive or like um if like I think I was a better flyer than than he was, or as like had more like control over how what I I feel like I was doing a pretty good job and he was kind of messing me up. If I was competitive or like mean, I could get like angry with him for messing us up, you sure. know? Yeah. And but I'm not I'm I not competitive or mean. <laughs> well, you are competitive. A little, but like <laughs> not as bad as some. And and yeah, it could have been. I mean, it could have been crazy. I, I remember when I was a gunner at one point, I was uh, I was yelling up at, at friend of the pod, Lizzie Lee. I was like, Lizzie, pull up. Oh, my God. <laughs> and like, like and she was like, I can't. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and so like there was there was camaraderie and like collaboration, but there also could have been like genuine like hostility there. Sure. Which was mental. And so at the end you land and he calculates uh, how much, uh, Hondo calculates how much uh, coaxium you got versus how much damage you did to the Falcon and how much the engineer was able to fix. And you get like a score at the end. That's like uh, your cut of the profits. And that cut of the profits could be zero. Oh my gosh. Like if you didn't do a good enough job, it literally could be zero dollars or zero credits. Huh. And... And that, and then you just have to leave. <laughs> like, <laughs> they would say, "All right, well, that that's that was a uh, that you did a really bad job. Maybe better luck next time." <laughs> like cause the first time, Honda was like, "Ooh, that could have gone better." And the second time, Honda was like, "Hey, that's not that bad." So, like, there are definitely different reactions to how well you do. <laughs> Interesting. It's wild. It was mental, and it was so fun. A big criticism that I've been hearing. Mm-hmm. is that same thing that you said that like if you want to do well at this ride which is something that is weird to even say you need <laughs> to have a pretty yeah. good team and if you yes. need to have a pretty good team and there's a weak link as there often will be more often than mm-hmm. not i guess right there's going to be somebody who's it's their first time or maybe they didn't get the instructions or maybe they are a baby and can't read all <laughs> like like the smallest child <laughs> right like, there's a lot of questions there as, as to like well does that make it like worse for you then 
I don't um, know. And it is something that I, I guess I worry about a little bit. Like, you can have a worse time on the ride because of who you're on it with. But then again, Alice, that's true of lots of rides. Like, the people who shout the entire speech in the elevator of the Haunted Mansion. Yes, um, they do make the, the ride worse, yes. They do make the ride worse. Like We, there, were, we used to be those teens, bud. We were those teens. <laughs> I'm so glad that we're not those teens anymore because now yeah, we I grew up. Yeah, because now I can I can make fun of those teens for doing the thing I did. Yeah, uh, but I also do get a little embarrassed when I remember secondhand secondhand teens. embarrassment when I see other it's people bad. do it. I'm like I used to be like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, like uh, and and to that I I understand like the idea that like but through your performance through like a thing that you do this ride that you do not that other people are doing to affect you but the thing that you can do can make your ride worse but here's the thing is that i don't think so because of how much of the ride like as what and i finally realized it when i was finally the pilot and then the second time we wrote it i was able to be like oh okay certain parts of the narrative were the same no matter what no matter how well you do you at some point like land on a pad that gives out beneath you and the Falcon just falls for a while. Oh. And, and I, when we were falling for a while, I was like, Lizzie, what did you do? And she, and she was like, I didn't do anything. Um, but writing it the second time, I was like, I knew I had flown well. <laughs> so when it did it, I was like, oh, this is just like part of the part of the ride. And so when, and like Chewy pilot, you can't crash the Falcon and then like, you crash and die like that is not a <laughs> that not is not a, a thing you must survive you will the mission always make it back to Batu, but you just might not win as much credits at the end which is all and, fine and dandy because credits yes. are made up and don't matter so yeah and it's just a number on the screen kind of like a buzz lightyear right like a, at the end of buzz lightyear astro blasters you get a number that's your score that's yeah. how well you did right and that number could be really bad if you were not good at it or you are a baby <laughs> <laughs> but um but yeah so that's how i think i think this ride if if you are very very good at it if the team of six you bring on is like so good and dedicated you could be on that ride for like a while i think you could you could extend the narrative to be several minutes longer but it wouldn't change the narrative. Right. It just, at the end, Hondo might be like, wow, well done. But that's it. That, that I think would be the only difference. And that's why they pull in crews, that why they give you like a waiting area and and they pull in crews by color because whoever they have riding the ride could take a long time to finish or they could just do the basic part of the story and then be done. And so you don't have people waiting like in a line they give you a space to sit and to take pictures and to entertain you and then they pull in the next crew so what i understand about the like loading procedure of this ride is that there are actually like carousels of these pods that you sit in uh yeah i haven't looked at the blueprints right oh i haven't seen an actual blueprint i saw like a a mock-up um, yeah. so there's kind of the waiting area and then the carousels are kind of going around each carousel with several pods and that increases the ride capacity. Um, yeah. so I think when you're stuck in the asteroid belt and you're like, oh, there's not a lot to do here. That's the oh, carousel it's... spinning you around to the right spot so you can get on and off the ride. 
That um, makes sense. And and so I think you're right that the ride can take different amounts of time. So where it varies is the carousel can go whatever direction it needs to or spin as far as it needs to to get people to on bring and you off back as, as they do it. And I think any waiting oh. is just because of the the imperfections in that system, which you got to say is is pretty ingenious in general. Oh, it's brilliant. Now now that you mention it, yeah, the just kind of floating through... Wow, I don't know why that didn't occur to me. <laughs> but uh, floating through the asteroid belt, like, not doing anything. Yeah, that was that was us just, like, casually fly, getting to fly the Falcon and, like, hit buttons and stuff while we are... And so, so, we, I, but, so we waited, and it was weird. Like, the narrative moment was kind of strange. But at the same time, we didn't, like, care because we were still in charge of the Falcon. Yeah. I still could mo move it and... They were still shooting their blasters out into the into the nothingness of space, trying to hit the asteroids and stuff. And like, it was still fun. Yeah. Um. But yeah, that makes. I mean, that makes perfect sense. And I love it. I love it. I loved the ride. I would ride it a hundred more times. One hundred. Just trying different. Just trying different things and trying different positions and seeing if I could. So like. When I realized that I had hit the brake late, I was like, oh, man, next time I do this, I'm going to hit the brake faster. You know, I was right. like. You're going to remember the sequence of events you need to do in order to do really well for Hondo. Yeah. Who demands yeah, credits. He demands credits, but he's also like so cool. That he, animatronic was so beautiful. Oh, man. People it was like he was there. About it. It's so for it's, a minute for genuinely for a minute. I was like, oh, they took out the animatronic and just put a dude up there. Oh my god! I really and and then and then he swiveled to like hit some buttons or something. And the way that the animatronic swivels makes it kind of a little bit look like he's taking a step, but you can see that it's like too smooth right. of a of a step. And so like I was I, that was the minute where I was like, that really is an animatronic. That is so crazy. Holy cannoli! He's so lifelike. He makes the Johnny Depp. Um, uh, animatronics and Pirates of the Caribbean look silly. Yeah. Like, that's that's how lifelike he is. <laughs> Dang. Uh, yeah. I loved him. I loved And I loved his character in the show and everything. And, and like, uh, I was chatting with a friend of the pod, Lizzie Lee, and she hadn't really seen the Clone Wars, and she did, so she didn't know that Hondo was, like, a pre-established character. Uh -huh. To her, he was, he was brand new. And he, and, and I was like, oh, yeah, well, that's Jim Cummings' voice. And she was like, oh, yeah, I read that. Wait, was he was he Jim Cummings in the show too? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> and so we got to talk a little. And I was like, I was like, oh man, you got to watch the episode of the Clone Wars where uh, Hondo gets uh, uh, drugs Obi Wan's and Anakin's drink and uh, and and like uh, Obi, you know, because like there's a running joke where Obi Wan drinks like all the time, <laughs> and um, like that, you know, but he's like, oh, I'm gonna have a drink. Sorry, Anakin, you can't, you know, and like. And it, and it was very funny and Hondo, you know, he's he's lovable, but he's a rascal. And, and she was like, wow, I didn't know that. I got to go watch Clone Wars. And um, I was like, yeah, obviously you do. I haven't finished the show. That's totally amazing, though. I mean, I loved I loved him and I loved uh, I, I spent so much freaking money there. Uh, Lizzie and 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 our and our friend Callan. They did not spend as many dollars as I did in the shops uh, because they they were not as impressed with the with the merch as I was. Um, huh. But I found I found several items that I was like, oh, I want this in my in my possession, and I, I sent one to you. Yes, you did. Um, I got uh, a little bobble from Black Spire Outpost that has some Sith wisdom on it. 
Yes, it has some some Sith wisdom. I have some Jedi wisdom here. Um, and I got a Japur snippet and I bought a little Princess Leia doll for my niece and every, everything. I mean, like, oh, the handmade toys in the in the Toydarian toy shop, the like wooden toys and the like cloth dolls were gorgeous. They were so beautiful. And if I was a toy collector, I would have spent so much money in that shop. Um, as it was, I just wanted to drink at the cantina. That's really what I wanted to spend my money on. So I'm sure I don't we'll, know. I'm sure we'll both get our chance one day. Someday, <laughs> we'll rope drop and like do the the app reservation or oh, something. Absolutely. I don't know. We'll we'll rope drop Disneyland at you know seven fifty five in the gosh darn morning, and we'll we'll <laughs> beeline it for all of the alcohol, and then. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound half bad, actually. Hang on no, a second. No, because that's how you do it. You do it first thing in the morning, and then you have all day to sober up before you have to leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, Alice, it sounds like our uh, our our little discussion on Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, uh, the Black Spire outpost on Batu, has come to an end. That's right. Unfortunately, uh, we have to end this conversation, but I could talk about it for... Um, a lot longer and if you want to talk to me about it um you could just find me on twitter uh i'm at alice white thp on twitter and on instagram and i'm at buddy underscore duquesne duquesne is spelled d-u-q-u-e-s-n-e and the show itself is at Happy Places Pod. If you have any thoughts and opinions about Galaxy Z, or if you just want to talk about how cool it is, uh, hit us up. Let us know. We we I will not stop talking about it for a thousand years. And I don't know what conclusion we came to in this episode other than it's really great. <laughs> um, but uh, we will surely have to just attend multiple times. Yeah, I think it's definitely something that's going to kind of slowly unfold and reveal new intricacies. Um, and I look forward to doing like a full episode where we can both talk about the entire like effect of the land. Uh, and, and then also maybe when both attractions are open, kind of seeing how they relate to each other or how they yes. tell a similar story. And I, I guess... Yes, I... Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I, say, I cannot wait for Rise of the Resistance to open... Um, because even just from the queue, like looking out at it, it looks it looks wonderful. Yeah, it, it really does sound like it's going to be a, a really outstanding attraction, just in general. That it's going to combine so many different kinds of attraction into one grand experience. I really can't wait to see what, what happens with that. Um, and I guess, Alice, if I had like one last question, maybe one thing to kind of tie it all together, it would be... Does this feel like an evolution of Star Tours? Like like Ooh. the next step forward in being welcomed into another part of the Star Wars galaxy. Um, a place where it feels more alive and more immersive and more real. Um, the answer to that, whether it is more alive and more immersive and more real is undoubtedly. It, tru it really was incredibly immersive from inside the park you cannot see or hear or from inside see there i did it again from inside <laughs> the land you cannot see or hear any other part of the park it is a full full immersive experience now star tours i love star tours um and star tours 
has absolutely still has its place in Tomorrowland, like for sure. I would not move Star Tours to Galaxy's Edge. I'd leave it exactly where it is. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's it's it definitely now feels like it. This is going to be part of the park for a long time, and it it is. Uh, I think just it's just wonderful. I don't even know what else to say. I want to complicate that statement, but I don't want to complicate it right here, right now. What I'd like Ooh. to do is encourage our listeners who are listening to pop on over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash those happy places, where we're going to do a tiny episode called The Star Tours Problem. Ooh. Ooh right? Uh, this is the first time hearing I about know, it. I, I can't wait. Right now, because I, I feel like we, we have a little bit more to say on that subject. And it would be great to talk about it with our Patreon patrons and share kind of some limited thoughts about what we think Star Tours means now and what it needs. Uh, so I can't wait to have that very brief conversation with you uh, and uh, to share it with everybody who manages to go over to patreon.com slash those happy places. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can access the entire Patreon at any level uh, we've got $1 tiers, $10 tiers, whatever you feel like giving. Uh, and if you can't contribute, that is okay. We love interacting with everybody anyways, especially on our Discord. Oh, I love our Discord server. And if you want to join our Discord server and have conversations with us about all topics all the time, anything from park food to uh, the episodes themselves or Universal Studios or... Uh, anything in between general muckery um we talk a lot about music and and um and and just anything that's on your mind come join us at the discord server and you can get a link to that on our twitter uh or uh you can send us an email at those happy places at gmail.com absolutely hey alice right now our audience is hearing our theme music our theme music, which is Golden Gate by the California Feet Warmers featuring Phil Alvin. Yes, you can find this and many other tracks at www.californiafeetwarmers.com. And any additional music in this episode was from the Free Music Archive via incompetent.com. Uh, all thanks to the very uh, prevalent and prolific uh, internet composer, Kevin McLeod. Thank you so much, Kevin, for giving us all of this great music for free. Yes, thank you, Kevin McLeod, and special thanks to patrons T.H. Ponders and Charles Gustine for your uh, current patronage. You are wonderful, and we could not do this uh, without you. Uh, so. And, Alice, thank you for going and doing this research mission and then and basically <laughs> sitting here and letting me interview you about it. It's, it's so cool that we were even able to have this conversation. Genuinely my pleasure. Um, it, it, it's, it was such a good day and um i want to thank uh, lizzie and callan for making it wonderful especially um lizzie and well actually especially callan for making sure that the reservations were uh were ours because very real yeah they they sat there at work and uh on the dot on the minute got on and started fighting for reservations and they thought of me and i am i'm touched and uh overwhelmed by, by how good it was. So thanks, thanks, ladies. And uh, to everyone out there, thank you for listening, and we hope you return to those happy places. <laughs>